All right. Our scripture this morning comes from the second book of Samuel, beginning in chapter 5, going from verse 1 through verse 10. You can follow along in your bulletins, or if you want another version, uh, I won't judge you if you get your phone out and pull up a Bible app. That's okay, too. Friends, listen now for God's word to you. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and your flesh. For some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out in battle and brought us in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Then the king and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here. Even the blind and the lame will turn you back. They were thinking, David can't come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, which is now the city of David. And David had said on that day, Whoever would strike down the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the blind and the lame. Those David hates. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. David occupied the stronghold and named it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? As we encounter you in this text, O holy God, let our eyes and our hearts be open. Send your Holy Spirit among us to illuminate what you would have us see this morning. Thank you for your word and for your son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture passage is a little bit of a mixed bag, I think. It's similar to uh, the beautiful song, Lift Every Voice and Sing, where midway through that second verse, you get into treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. What? Did any of you notice that when we were singing that? It, it, it felt off to me before getting to where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. And here in David's story, we have this part that seems a little bit off. The blind and the lame who David hates. Strange. So that's on the one hand, we've got a little bit of a mixed bag. On the one hand, we have this sort of strange portion. On the other hand, you know, we've got Jerusalem what would become the capital city of Israel, the location of Solomon's temple, and a place that continues to be a destination for those on pilgrimage to a holy place even today. So how do we handle a passage like this? Well, we're going through this series on uh, having a royal life. What does it mean to live a royal life here and now? And 
as we look through David's life, one of the questions we'll keep coming back to is, well, what does a royal life look like? Another question we'll keep coming back to is, how can we, as children of the king, live a royal life today? And the story of David is particularly well-suited for these two questions because we see the full humanity of someone who loves God deeply, yet is himself deeply broken. When I was young, maybe about seven years old, I had this picture Bible. It was a comic book Bible illustrated in like a graphic novel style. Um, and I wore this thing down, guys. Uh, the cover was falling off by the time I was done with it. Uh, it instilled in me the deep love I have for the stories of the Old Testament, particularly the stories of Samuel and David and Solomon and Elijah and Elisha, because those are the things that you can really get good comic book stuff going on with. You can't really make a comic book out of the book of Romans. Um, but for me, when I was reading through this Bible, Moses was cool, but it was prologue to the real deal, the story of David. These stories with the first kings of Israel held a deep attraction for me. And I wonder if even at that age, I sensed that these stories conveyed the complicated, unvarnished truth of everyday life. That ugly truth that we don't really bring with us to church on the outside often. That no matter how beautiful a face we show to one another, we are all, every one of us, broken in some way. Martin Luther, I think, said it really well that we are at the same time sinners and saints. We carry the light and the darkness inside of us. David, for his part, at this time in his life, enjoyed immense popular support from all of Israel. He was their native son, their childhood hero, their beloved general. A daughter of Saul, Michal, was his first wife. So even though he was not royalty himself, he had ties to the royalty of Israel. And the final potential heir to Saul's throne, Ishbosheth, had been assassinated the chapter before this one. And so this was a time of celebration for David. The kingdom, which had been promised to him by the anointing of Samuel, decades before likely, was finally his. The entire nation of Israel was united under his leadership. And God was going to use Israel to do great, wonderful, powerful things. So this was a time for David that was exciting. And David used some of the momentum to get the people together to charge up to Jerusalem a city which had not been successfully occupied during the invasion of Joshua because possibly it was geographically difficult to invade. Jerusalem is in the hill country. Throughout scripture, you'll always note that people go up to Jerusalem. This is a spiritual truth, but it also happens to be a geographic truth that wherever you are in Israel, you're likely having to traverse up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem truly was a stronghold. It was difficult to invade. So David and this army get up there, and they have sort of a back-and-forth insult battle prior to the occupation. It's sort of Monty Python-esque. Um, maybe, maybe you sense that in it. And we see uh, David's humor, but also some concerning traits in this young new king. Perhaps wanting to maintain the unity of his people, he offers a shared enemy 
to, the, to his army, the blind and the lame. Instead of insisting that true unity is only achieved when all people are welcome and included, and even those we call weeds are embraced in the bouquet of flowers, and even weeds can cost 50 cents, David takes an easier road. David takes a more harmful road, a less, less costly road, at least in the short term, but one that does harm in the long term. He takes aim at a marginalized group, a group that's already been alienated from society, and uses them, the blind and the lame, as a springboard to further unity. And this is concerning. Today, um, as we remarked earlier, it's Independence Day. It's a day when 245 years ago, the founders of our nation declared their freedom from British rule. It's a day of celebration to rejoice and be glad. It's America's birthday. Ever since that time, we've been known as the United States of America. And yet perhaps now more than ever, it's worth asking, what does it mean to be united? At what cost did unity come for the early United States? Well, we have historical record of this. Those of you uh, who may remember your high school civics classes, you may remember that during the Constitutional Convention, in order to unite the northern states and the southern states, there was a great compromise that was brought forward, the three-fifths compromise. Much like David's hatred of the blind and the lame, this marginalized and reduced the humanity of fellow children of God, other human beings made in God's image. It spelled out very clearly that enslaved people, largely African people who were stolen from their land, were by definition worth 60% of a real human being. Just like David, our founders used a group already alienated from society as a springboard to further unity. And just like David, our founders were exceptional people. They were heroes in their own right. We can look back on our founders as sinners and saints with deep gratitude for the freedoms that they instilled in the Declaration of Independence and in our national character, we can also look back on our founders and realize they were human, just like you and I. When we look at David's life, we see this same division between the deeply admirable and the deeply broken. In part because, to paraphrase the poet Walt Whitman, we are large we all contain multitudes. Now, last week I shared that we would this summer be following the lectionary readings of the Old Testament as we follow the story of David. This is mostly correct. However, the lectionary sometimes skips passages of scripture that are difficult. The lectionary wanted to do that this morning. It wanted to cut out verses six through eight where it talks about the, David's hatred of the blind and the lame. Um, and I think that when the lectionary cuts out passages of scripture like this, it makes the same error that David made. It takes the difficult things and prohibits them entrance into the house of worship. Just like us, the Bible is large and contains multitudes. The Bible contains great examples of exclusion and inclusion alike. Now I wonder how frequently we refuse people entrance into worship without even meaning to, without even realizing it. 
every week I try to ask myself this question, knowing that in order to be welcoming, in order to include, in order to be truly united, I need to ask, where are my blind spots? It's not our factory default, I think, to be truly welcoming of all people. We tend to gravitate toward those who share similar stories with us. We need to work at welcome. So each week I'll ask myself questions like, well, by saying this in my sermon, who am I excluding from our worship, intentionally or unintentionally? Or have I made our liturgy accessible for children? In other words, I'll have to ask myself, how accessible is this house of worship for the blind and for the lame? Because we do not want to follow David's example here by barring those who are not like us from the house of worship. One example of this is, is one of the reasons we continue to mask in worship, in spite of the massive decrease in COVID cases in our county, so that we can intentionally include even those who have chosen not to vaccinate or who have an issue, a, a biological issue or a medical issue with vaccination. It might be easier not to consider such folks, but it is the role of the church to welcome all, even those who are different, even those who make worshiping together a little bit more difficult. If we aren't intentionally making space for people who are different, we may be excluding folks without even realizing it. In order to find ourselves truly united as a nation or as a church community, we need to evaluate and acknowledge as honestly as we can our deep successes as well as our deep failures. We are both saints and sinners at the same time. So at Sunnyside, we can ask ourselves, what successes and failures do we have? Perhaps we've ministered to our community in needed ways, like providing a live-streamed worship service even before the pandemic forced us into our homes. And perhaps there are ways that we could be better serving those people with mental illness or those who struggle in social situations, those who are in some way not like us, to welcome them in the same way that we would welcome others like us. See, friends, the body of Christ is not united when we exclude people from the table of grace. Indeed, Christ himself reminds us that whatever we've done for the least of these, we've done for him. So as we work to be a united people, let's not be a people that builds unity on the backs of the marginalized, but a people united in offering profound, inclusive welcome to anyone who wants to know our God. Let us be a people willing to build bridges of faith to all who hunger and thirst for good news, the beautiful flowers and the weeds alike. In doing this, we can emulate our Savior who unites us at his table, whatever the cost may be, through his body and blood, so that we might live. Let us do likewise. May it be so. Amen.